Lovely to see uh, you all here on a lovely winter's morning. How great is the weather? Just love it. I love, uh, love winter. Today, I'm going to talk to you about your greatest enemy. I'm going to help you to understand today your greatest enemy and how you can overcome your greatest enemy. Now, your greatest enemy is not someone else. However, however annoying other people may around you may be, your greatest enemy is not someone else. Your greatest enemy is not the devil. A lot of people say, you know, I feel like I'm under attack. I've often, it's, it's sometimes, you know, couples when they're having a lot, a lot of conflict, they say, oh, we feel like we're really under attack. And I feel like saying, oh, actually, you're attacking each other. Um, our biggest enemy is not other people. Our biggest enemy is not the devil. Our biggest enemy actually is our pride. And today, I'm going to talk to you about your pride and my pride. And I want to ultimately lead you to an appreciation of the joy of humility, something actually that is naturally impossible. I'm going to point you towards something that naturally is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And when we get to the bedrock of our human nature, we have a fundamentally human issue that we can refer to as pride that you and I cannot overcome. We can perhaps overcome with a little bit of discipline. We can overcome some of the, let's call it, moral issues in our lives with a little bit of discipline. But when it comes to the bedrock of our human pride, and I'm gonna describe this in a moment, this is something that is not humanly possible to overcome this. You need God to save you from yourself. And so humility, therefore, is the result of a work of God in our lives. Now, I wanna make a very important qualification here because some people may be listening to this and thinking, well, I don't feel like I'm, I have pride in my life because I feel hopeless, I feel worthless, I feel like I'm no good, I feel like... And you may think if you feel that way, that that's not coming from pride, but it's very important to real, recognize the difference between humility and what is essentially failed pride. What often gets confused as being humility is only the ruins of our failed pride. And that's something very different. And today, I want to lead you, as I said, to an appreciation of the joy, the release, the freedom, the liberty of humility. Now, there's an irony here because I'm willing to admit that I may well be uh, potentially the proudest person in the room today, I, 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 will, uh, I, I will up front admit to the fact that perhaps this is a bigger issue for me than for anyone else. I don't want to uh, be standing up here like, you know, I'm the, uh, the be all and end all here. But because of that, I've had a lot to work through. Because of that, I've discovered something in this area that is truly wonderful. I've discovered God's power to overcome the very thing that undermines us the most, something that causes us so much pain, something that causes us so much exhaustion. 
as I said, when we get to the bedrock of our human nature, beneath all of the moral issues and the different areas of dysfunctionality in our lives, we come to what is really the root issue in human nature. And this is already present, this issue is present in the original temptation, what we could describe as the original sin. You may have heard that term. What would be, what is the original sin? Well, in Genesis chapter three, the original temptation was that we would be like God. For those of you who know the story in Genesis chapter three of the fall of mankind, the temptation was to cross the boundary that God had told them not to cross. And the temptation was, because then you will be like God. Now, there's always an element of truth in deception. In fact, the most powerful deceptions, as I've said before, often contain very compelling elements of truth. Otherwise, they wouldn't be so compelling. Otherwise, they wouldn't have that intuitive you know, feeling of truthfulness. Otherwise, it wouldn't be deceiving. And the irony there is, is that God had already created humankind in his likeness. So we have this intuition, this deep intuition within us of ultimate significance. There is no higher view of humanity in any other worldview than there is in the Christian worldview. According to the Christian worldview, we are the children of God. We participate in the divine nature, for goodness sake. There is no higher dignity than that described in the Bible. And so we have this intuition within us. There's something there that needs to be fulfilled. But what happened with us as human beings, collectively, in a sense, is that we cut ourselves off from that identity-affirming love of God. We cut ourselves off from our connection with God. And what that creates is an identity vacuum. And so instead of drawing our sense of identity from our loving heavenly Father, understanding that we are sacred children of God, we now have to build our own identity and the only way to do that is in comparison with other people. You see, if I'm not drawing my identity from my relationship with God, then I create a vacuum and the only way I can create a sense of my significance is me being better than you or... or um, somehow more significant or get noticed more or to achieve more than you. It's in comparison with other people. And some people win and some people lose, right? But we should not confuse losing that in that endeavor with humility because it's painful to lose. It is painful to lose. It's painful to feel that you are hopeless or insignificant or that you haven't measured up. But actually, that's a deception because fundamentally you are enormously significant in relation to God. Some people lose, but some people win. Some people manage to build a lot of achievement, to build a sense of self and essentially build a kind of false self. To use a Freudian term, to build a kind of ego, a great ego, but there's also enormous suffering for those who succeed as well, for those who succeed and those who fail, because maintaining your ego is exhausting. 
You have to continue every single day. You have to convince yourself, I have value, I'm valuable, I'm valuable. Every day, through, it's because you're only ever as good as your last achievement. You're only ever as good as the last person you managed to convince that you were worth your while. And so it's exhausting continually trying to maintain this sense of identity. That's pride at work. Pride is this compulsive, and it is compulsive. It's a kind of addiction. It's a a life-controlling issue. It is the core life-controlling issue. And even if you have failed, your sense of failure comes from this sense that I have failed to build my own identity. But you never were meant to anyway in the first place. (laughs) You were never meant to in the first place. And not only is it exhausting building that sense of identity, but it's very, very tender. What you end up building is very, very tender. Your Again, to use this term, and I'm I'm sort of giving a a theological spin to a Freudian term here. Your ego, you know, when touched, if someone someone just knocks it a little bit, you know, uh, if someone says, communicates to you that there may be some small imperfection in in you, if someone criticises you, even constructive criticism, it really hurts and that ego is like a big balloon. The more it blows up, the more tender it is, the easier it can be burst, right? And the, it's like a kind of swelling. You know when you have a swell, I mean, let's not get into the gory details here. Okay, but you know if you have a swelling like a boil or someone and someone touches it, it's so painful. And that's what ego is like. It makes you very, very vulnerable. In fact, you will actually live in pain. And every time someone touches that, you'll immediately be defensive. And the pain will turn to anger. Why don't they recognise me? Why can't they see? I don't get enough recognition. That's ego trying to convince itself. And the other element of the pain of your ego is that no matter how great you manage to build your sense of self, and in fact, the greater you build it, the more pain, the more that, you know, because it's like, as I said, it's like a swelling. But the less convinced you are, because there will always be someone that's better than you. Won't there? There will always be someone that's better than you, no matter how successful you are. And because the greater your ego becomes, the more tormented you will be. This is a fact. Very successful people can often be very tormented people. People that become very powerful become very disturbed people. We know this. They say, as the saying goes, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. It's because the the bigger our ego swells, the more tormented we are. And Jesus says this to us in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest from the weight 
of this false self that you are building. I'll get back to this passage in a moment. It's a little bit like, if I may use a metaphor, I want you to picture one of those medieval suits of armour. I just love these suits of armour. Maybe there's some kind of subconscious connection with this at a metaphorical level, but let's not analyse that because we're not talking about me today, we're talking about you. No, just... Suits of armour in, in, in the medieval times, uh, you know, only the knights would have these suits of armour and they'd sit uh, atop their horses and so they were very elaborate. They're often really beautiful, uh, often like gold-plated and beautiful carvings, uh, this full steel with the helmets. And you've, I'm sure you've seen these uh, pictures of these. They were very, very elaborate, but the other thing is that they were enormously heavy. <laughs> they could, the knights couldn't even walk around because of these suits of armour. They were actually immobilised by these suits of armour. Actually made them very, very vulnerable. If they fell off their high horse, (laughs) then they were enormously vulnerable. And the false self that we create, compulsively create, and remember I said you can't save yourself from this process. It's like an addiction, it's a compulsion. You can't save yourself from it. I'm going to keep highlighting that because we, we need God to help us. I'll get to that. So we compulsively create this false self and it's like a suit of armour and it's so heavy. It's so very heavy. It's this kind of burden and there, it comes in many different forms. There are many kinds of achievement and one of the kinds of achievements that Jesus in this context is referring to is the burden of the spiritual ego. It was the spiritual people and the burden of constantly trying to feel like I measure up or I'm better than this person or I'm a... But it comes in many forms. And so he says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn... From me, he says. Learn from me. Okay, so what has Jesus to teach us about this? This is what he says. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It can be hard to live the Christian life, but it's much harder to live a life where you're constantly having to make your own sense of self, your own life, your own path, to be your own God. It's exhausting. Because as I've often said, you're not very good at being God because you're not God. And so we exhaust ourselves. But Jesus invites us to come into a rest. He invites us to come into a beautiful sense of rest. First of all, he rec- there's, there's a fundamental sense of rebellion in that, in that endeavor. Like we're all kind of, in some sense, participating. This is why, by the way, one person can't ever judge another person. Because at the, as I said a couple of weeks ago, because at the very core, we're all participating to some extent in the same sort of rebellion. 
If we say we are without sin, John says in his letter, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And in some sense, therefore, this is always going to be a struggle, but you can win, you can be a victor in this struggle, but struggle you must, right? It's not, you know, God's never just going to, it's not going to ever just go away, but you can be victorious by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what God does, is that first of all, he forgives us for our rebellion. And we are declared righteous, even though there's lots of issues still going on. And then we are empowered with the Holy Spirit. But what the Holy Spirit does then is the thing that probably you most don't want the Holy Spirit to do, to be honest. And this is, this is the hard bit. I mean, we love like talking about, oh, the Holy Spirit and come Holy Spirit. And maybe we think of the work of the Holy Spirit as a nice sort of fuzzy feeling and warm. And that can be the case, right? Because the Holy Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. So yes, there is a wonderful aspect to this. But God is so zealous for his children, for his children that are trapped within that suit of armor. And I mean trapped within the suit of armor. He is so zealous for his little kids that have trapped themselves and suffocating inside that suit of armor. And may I also say, bad stuff grows in there. Underneath that armor, bad stuff grows there. You need and you want to be set free from that suit of armor. And God so loves us and he so loves his kids that are suffocating and getting infected underneath that false self, that armor, that he is, oh, and this is the good news. He's gonna smash it to pieces. Yay! And he will, because he loves you. But here's the, here's the thing. You sort of don't want him to. It's very difficult to let go of that. And actually, the way that God does this is that he does it bit by bit. He's going to deconstruct bits. He's going to pull this off and pull that off and pull this off. He is going to save you from the very thing that is causing you the most exhaustion, the most grief, the most torment. He's going to save you from that. See, we, tend, we, are, we get deceived into thinking that in order for me to be less tormented or to have a better sense of self, to feel better about myself, that what I need to do is just do more of the wrong thing. Oh, I've just got to make, I've just got to build more of it. You know, got to make the armor better and bigger and, and, and then it just becomes heavier and heavier and heavier. Because actually there's only ever one solution and it's not a humanly possible solution. You need to die and rise again. Your false self needs to be destroyed. And we can't set ourselves free from our false selves. Only God can rip off that armor. It's like from the outside to rip off this bit and then that bit. And, and often he puts us in circumstances where we get, might, you know, our, our pride might get knocked around a bit. And we blame the circumstances and we blame the people and we, don't you touch more. No, let's, actually, God is at work in all of our lives. 
and he's setting us free. And there is a wonderful rest that occurs. This is what, to, to the extent that God has done this work in me, this is what I've discovered. I have discovered such great joy and rest in this. To the point where at times I feel like light as a ghost. Now, of course, I, I still have this compulsion to want to build back the, you know, the pride is still there. But the experience for me of liberation from this armor, it's like stepping out of armor and you feel as light as a ghost. You feel like you can float. And you actually grow because you can receive critical feedback from other people. You, are, you allow yourself to see what's wrong with yourself. And so you actually start growing because you don't grow inside the armor, right? The armor will always prevent you from growing. But it's the joy of the rest, of the lightness. And this is described in Psalm 131. And this is a psalm where the psalmist, he sounds a little bit like he's kind of proud of his humility, but that's not the case. What he's, what he's doing here is that he is commending the joy of humility. And he says this, my heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Throughout the teaching of Jesus, it was the children that he pointed to as examples of what humility looks like. And within all of the garb overlaid over the real you, underneath all of that, there is a little helpless child that just needs the love of a father. And God is coming to get that child because he loves that child. And he's coming to save us from ourselves. And that's good news. So I'm going to invite you to do something that you don't want to do. And I'd like us to stand together, please. We're going to bring a sacrifice to our God. We're going to make a gesture. And we're going to ask God to set us free. And we're going to ask God to do whatever it takes to set us free. And if you feel a little nervous praying that prayer, that's okay. Remember Jesus said, I am gentle and humble in heart. Did you remember that bit? I am gentle and humble in heart. So trust him. He will set you free. But he always responds to prayer. We need to be willing to say, Lord, set me free. Set me free. And maybe today, this is the first time that you've ever prayed that prayer. Maybe you're new to this faith journey. And I encourage you, particularly, to do this for the first time. So I want us just to take a moment 
to be still before God. And that's okay. I know the kids are in, in the room. That's okay. It doesn't need, we don't need to be, you know, don't worry about that. But let's take just, just a few moments to lay ourselves down upon the altar and to ask God to set us free and to reach in to the child. Let's do that. Father in heaven, today we surrender ourselves to you. Lord, first of all, we acknowledge we cannot save ourselves. Lord, we need you to save us. But we know that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Because Jesus, you came to save us. You came for the little children underneath all of the layers. Lord, for the sake of the children today. Lord, for the sake of the children, would you save us, Lord? We call out from beneath the layers, Lord, that we build. We confess to you, Lord, that we have compulsively built these layers all in our different ways. We confess to you, Lord, that we have done this. Lord, we are sorry. Forgive us in Jesus' name. Thank you that in Jesus we can find forgiveness and reconciliation. And now we pray, come Holy Spirit and set us free. Come Holy Spirit and set us free, Lord. Let there be freedom, Lord. Let the children be set free from the dungeons, from the prisons, Lord, that we build for ourselves. Let the children be set free. Lord, would you bring new joy, Lord God, a new wine of new joy, Lord, from us. Father, that in this freedom, that we would find new joy in you. Let's use this song. Let's use this song today to commit ourselves to this.